There was the basement number, barrel. The, there was a basement barrel that was left behind that had almost basement body barrel. A basement body barrel that had almost two mummies in it. No. I think that might be might be copyright infringement. It's okay. the, the police, the alien police, are going to come for us. Yes, they are. For me in specific, they'll leave you alone. I mean, maybe. We'll see. You'll get off with a stern warning. I mean, but maybe they'll send me a warning by abducting you. Oh, that could be. Yeah, see? Then, then I can be in the show. Then I'll be the missing. There you go. There you go. And I'll be the mystery us. Uh, nice, smooth. Alright. All right. Uh, hi, I'm Matt. I'm Mel. Welcome to the mysterious. The missing. And the murdered. Let's get started. So, my story is on the murder of Reina uh, Marukin. So, what do we know about her? Let's just start there. Okay. So, Reina was born on December 2nd, 1941 in El Salvador. She left the country in August of 1966 when she was 25 after a failed marriage. So she headed to New York, and she didn't have any family there, so she was just setting out, trying to live the American dream, that kind of a thing. So she went to New York just American dreaming in New York? Yeah, yeah. Basically, she didn't really seem to have any solid plans when she left El Salvador, but was just sort of like, I'm just going to do it. Let's see what happens. Uh, So her sister Dora said that Reina would always tell their mom, I'm going to be somebody someday. So I guess if you're dreaming of being somebody someday, what more, what more of a romantic and opportunistic city than New York City? Well, it's better than Hollywood, at least. Like, Right, yeah. No, she did not go to Hollywood. She, she went to New York. Um, so for the next three years, from 1966 to 1969, uh, she would write home to her family frequently. Um, she didn't write home very often, but she would still write home enough that it was regular. And she would say things like, hey, I'm sorry I don't write often, but I do always think of you. Um, and she was busy in New York doing things like studying English. Uh, she enrolled at a fashion school. Um, according to her friends, she liked going to museums and was even taking citizenship classes. Wow. Uh, she also was employed, but we'll get to that later. Uh-oh. Well, she was, it was legit, but it ties into the murder. So okay. you'll see. Okay. So she was not like a drug lord or something like that. Like, like she, moved to New York and now I sell cocaine. Right. Now she came to New York and was like a legitimate person doing legitimate things and experiencing America and, and all that good stuff. Right. Right. Living her life. You know what I mean? She lived in an apartment in Manhattan with some other ladies and, you know, is just having fun. She's in her 20s. That's what you do when you're in your 20s. Right. But in 1969, the letter suddenly stopped. So uh, Reina's sister, Dora, said that the, families put an- the family put announcements in the paper in El Salvador saying, you know, there's a young Salvadorian woman. She's missing in New York, trying to see if maybe there were other people locally to them who had family members or friends in New York who could try and help them figure out what happened to her. But nobody ever came forward with any information. Huh. So eventually over the years... Uh, Dora and her family sadly came to accept the fact that they might never know what happened to Rena. 
So Daxi. Just- Daxi's like, the poor woman. <laughs> oh my god. Like, she just can't even handle it. Meow, murder, meow. <laughs> right. Meow, I say, meow. So she just, like, stopped, she just stopped writing and they just, like, nothing. They just accepted it, I guess. Man, the 60s, yeah. the 70s were a weird time. Well, and I think that back then, you know, because I've heard from other you know, missing person stories or murder stories where this was like, this was just very common where someone would go missing. The family would be like, Oh, that's weird. And would like try one thing and then be like, I guess they just like ran away or something. Like they just don't want to talk to me anymore. And they just kind of gave up, which is surprising to me. But at the same time I wasn't alive then. So what do I know? 5,000 miles away. and Right. And like, I don't really know what their family situation was. It's very likely that they, legitimately were not in a position where they could you know right. like haul ass over to new york and try and figure it out themselves so i get it right even if there was planes to from el salvador to new york or jfk they probably couldn't afford it so it'd be like a five week boat ride or something right right so like i i get it i get it i'm not yeah. putting any blame on them yeah um so like i said they had no idea what possibly could have happened to her that is until 30 years later in the year of our Lord, 1999. Jesus, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so 1999 rolls around. It's almost a <clears throat> millennia. All right. Uh, Computers are here's... We're, we're in. <laughs> right, exactly. So how was her disappearance resolved? Like, let's, let's dive into that. So I have a couple of different sections here, and I've titled this first section, The Barrel. You can probably see where this is going for poor Reyna. Oh my Jesus, what? <laughs> yes. So uh, let's flash forward to uh, specifically September 2nd, 1999. So a house has just been sold in Jericho, New York State, for about a half a million dollars. And for those of us who aren't familiar with the area, i.e. me, I looked this up, and Jericho is on the North Shore of Long Island, and it's a pretty affluent area, mostly white folk, the average <laughs> income recently was like a hundred thousand dollars per household so this is like a nice part of town yeah i i, uh, I have a uh, family friends who lived on log island until 9-11 and that, that is an affluent area yes so you know this is like a nice place this is a swanky part of town right so here's where there's a little bit of confusion because i kind of found two conflicting accounts on on what happened so either the previous owner of the house was selling the house and went hmm there's this mysterious barrel that has been sitting in the crawl space of my home the entire time I've lived here and was here before I got here. Now that I'm selling this house, I feel that I should open it and see what's inside. Or the new owners wanted the barrel removed, which they'd found in the crawl space and asked some uh, movers essentially to take care of it for them. Or the new owners demanded the previous owner remove the barrel before closing on the sale of the home. Right, like there's a barrel, nobody knows what's in. They're like, this barrel's <laughs> right, really there's heavy. There's a Can mystery barrel, and I mean, it's worth it to note that this is a big ass barrel. This right. is like an over three hundred pound barrel. So we're not talking about like. So you know, a kegger. Like, this is a heavy-ass barrel right, like, in the not, crawl space in the basement of this house. We're not talking, like, a 55-gallon drum, even. We're talking, like, a big wooden barrel. Steel, but yes. Okay, okay. So it's it heavy is... as fuck. Right, okay. <laughs> so, anyway, the barrel's gonna get opened. Um, and this is another thing, too, that was interesting, because I saw one account that was saying that right then and there, on September 2nd, the barrel was opened. 
Or it wasn't opened until almost a year later by the movers. So I'm inclined mm. to think that it happened right then on that September 2nd. But I mean, regardless, like, let's skip ahead. Somebody opened that barrel. Right. So they oh. opened that barrel. Oh, and her dreams it, of being a, a pickled human were finally realized. Uh, <laughs> more exactly mummified. Oh, oof. Yes. So they opened the barrel and it was packed with, like, plastic, like, I don't know, like, pebbles, I guess? Plastic. Like, like packing peanuts, essentially. Um, pellets, that's the word that they used in the in the account, pellets. And there was a mummified hand sticking out, out of the pellets. Oh my god, can you get more, like, horror movie-like? Right, exactly. Like so, the- I mean, this is, like, immediately the point at which the cops were called. Right, like... Because whoever opened it was like, I'm in way over my head, I don't want anything to do with a mummified body. Right, like, that's that's exactly... In the horror movie, they crack the barrel. There's a hand reaching up, so they dump the barrel over, and it's like, "Oh my god, we gotta, we gotta help this poor mummy!" And they tip the barrel over or something, and then the mummy gets up and strangles them to death. These were right. The mummy's people. like, "Thanks, Boo. I've just been waiting for thirty years." No, right. right. She the- is not a horror movie character. Okay, well, unless so- she's the character who was also the victim. Right. So. so she, well, yeah. So it is a horror movie. She's just the victim. This is and not the villain. Yes. This is thirty years after the credits have rolled. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, so, and this is what's kind of interesting to me, too, is that before this point on September 2nd, 1999, at least three other families had occupied that house. What the fuck? And none of them had been curious enough or cared enough to open the barrel or deal with it. How much space do you have to have in your home that there's a giant fuck-off barrel taking up space in your storage space that you don't want to take care of? right like okay i understand like when my dad moved into his house he found like a broken toilet in the attic and that's still there but at the same time there's nothing in that toilet if i found some weird ass barrel in my basement i'd be like oh hmm and i'd make somebody open it i wouldn't just be like who cares can i whatever can i interject what why why haven't they taken care of the toilet toilets aren't heavy you can just pick up the toilet and put it in the dumpster why do you okay well because sidetrack here the stairs going up into the attic are attic are incredibly steep i mean you almost have to like crawl like it's a ladder up it. It, yeah so that's really more of what it is and laziness sheer laziness i mean that's fair but like i don't even I, okay so that is beyond my reckoning i i don't even understand that there's a toilet that hasn't been taken care of honestly <laughs> okay well the next time i'm in minnesota we'll go over to my dad's house and we'll take care of the toilet yeah i'll help with the toilet Problem solved. Okay. Anyway, back to our barrel issue. (laughs) And, like, people in the accounts I was reading, it was like, yeah, we asked the previous owners, and they were like, oh, yeah, we knew about the barrel. We just didn't do anything about it. So it's not even like they somehow managed to not see this barrel in the infinite space of their basement. They saw it. They knew. They were aware. They just didn't care. That's insane. It's It's like the TARDIS, but it has a body in it instead of space. Right. Like, they just saw it and were like, oh, it's normal. I bought right, this is fine. Every house comes with a barrel. Yeah, it's our barrel. It's our, it it's our basement barrel. It's our house barrel. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's go on to our next section, which is inside the barrel. Oh, Jesus. So, as I've already mentioned, unfortunately, an intact, mummified body belonged to the hand, which was sticking up out of the pellets. Um, it was the body of a woman who was 
cross-legged at the bottom of the barrel. And I will say here that at this point, they don't know this is Reyna, right? This is me, like, giving you the information full circle. But we know information right now that the police do not. Right, they found an unknown an unknown woman who's been mummified in the bottom of a barrel. Right, exactly. That's where they're at. That's like, what they're working with. Like Buddha style. Right, exactly. I mean, she's wearing pretty normal clothes. She's wearing a skirt, button-down sweater, high socks. Um, she was wearing two rings, one of which was a wedding band on her left hand, inscribed with MHR and some numbers, and then another just sort of random ring with a green stone, Wait, um, a locket. Was, mm-hmm. she, she was divorced, though. Yeah, but at the same time, some people will still, like, wear their wedding, wedding ring after the divorce. I mean, it didn't say that, like, she left him. Maybe he left her, and she was sad about it, and so she kept the ring. I mean, I don't know, man. Okay, so so it was, it was not it was not that she eloped in 1969 and then was murdered or something. This is her wedding band from her first marriage. They can only assume, but I okay. mean, they don't they don't know. Right, they okay. have no idea. I mean, it okay. could have been like some of my friends now will wear wedding rings to like get creepy guys to leave them alone maybe that was going on i don't know anyway the body with a wedding ring right and a locket with the inscription to patrice love uncle phil and also a strange thing that i've never heard of before called a scapular which is a religious garment and it's like something you affix to the inside of your clothes from what i could see it's like some catholic thing i'm not catholic i don't get it but i mean is this one of those? Yeah. Okay. Ah, I read about this in a Dan Brown novel. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course. Um. Yeah, it's like it's like a rosary, isn't it? Yeah, but it looks like I mean, from the pictures I saw, there's like a rectangular, almost like a picture at the end of it. A picture, a picture of my bay Jesus. <laughs> right, of my main bay Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they can surmise that she's religious, or at least wearing religious things Mm -hmm. um there was also a makeup bag and a fake leopard skin coat in the barrel um apart from those things there were also traces of green dye which they discovered um was very small amounts of halogen green a trademarked name for a color a pigment that had been produced until 1972 an address asbestos in it (laughs) well it had asbestos in it yes exactly um (laughs) And plastic leaves assumed to be from some sort of, like, plastic floral arrangement. So some kind of, like, plastic flower. Interesting. And because of the plastic pellets that had helped to make the barrel airtight, which is why, because what my first question was, was how did nobody smell this? Right. But the pellets made it so that it was airtight and sealed. So Mm. nothing smelled until it was opened, and then it smelled quite awful from what (laughs) I can... Tell from what I read, and I don't care to question it. I believe them. Yeah, nope. So, let's let's look at the body a little bit more here. Oh, do we have to? Well, I won't. There's there's luckily there's not a ton of detail. There's not a ton of gory detail, but there is information that we need here. Uh, So, please determine that the body belonged to a young woman, likely in her twenties. Probably between four foot nine and five foot tall, but over time the body had shrunk, which is what tends to happen with mummies. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is likely not completely accurate. And at the time of the discovery, the body weighed 59 pounds. So once again, normal 26-year-old healthy human woman is probably not going to be 59 pounds. Right, but like, um, like those are some well-preserved yeah. remains. Like, 
Like this, right. This is this is more crispy, less juicy. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um. Also, she was very pregnant. Okay, that's a detail. Yeah. So her her fetus was determined to be male and seventeen inches long. Now I don't know much about pregnancy and how that all works so i had to look this up to get a better idea of okay well like how far along was she right that's like term yes it is so that's like (gasps) 32 to 34 weeks pregnant which is about seven months so yeah she was like in her third trimester she was like ready to pop right like she could have popped at any moment like damn right like this is a viable child at this point this is not like a mass of tissue this is this is a viable child right this this is a human baby who's who's now mummy baby right exactly who is now coincidentally also mummified right it's a coincidence it just happened to be you know fancy meeting you in the wrong place wrong time right uh most notably her top two front teeth were rimmed in gold meaning that she had had dental work done and had the fillings filled with gold um and this was unusual um most of the time this type of work was hmm? in the 70s yeah well, most of the time, this type of work was done in South America. So once again, you and me were like, ah, ah, like, I can see it. But they're still like, you know, trying to put the pieces together. Right. So speaking of putting the pieces together, what are what are the clues here? Right. What are we what are we working with? How are we going to figure out who this woman is? I mean, is there an address book with an I mean, the address book is there. Is there an entry labeled mom? <laughs> well, so that was part of the problem, and we'll get to that. The address book is is one of my other points. But as it was, how they pulled it out of the barrel, they were not able to read anything. You could tell that there was writing on it, but I mean, just trying to read it with the naked eye was not going to be possible at all. Like it was, it was in the presence of a mummy for a little bit too long. Yeah, and also some like green dye and other. I assume just everything materials and things <laughs> right yeah tips, so, yeah but we'll get to that we'll get to that the address book is important so first of all the barrel itself was a type of clue and that's because it was determined that the barrel had been made in 1965 and used for transporting dye they were able to determine this because uh the barrel had markings on it showing that it was made by um a company in linden new jersey a company that had started to produce the barrels for paints and dyes in 1963. And the barrel had marks on it for Melrose Plastics, a synthetic flower company in Manhattan, partly owned by Howard B. Elkins, who coincidentally had owned the house in Jericho until 1972, when he sold the business and his home and moved to Florida. Now, I gotta say, that's a bit sus. <laughs> right. Like things are not looking too good for you right now, Howard. Right. right. So we have a specific <laughs> industrial purpose from a specific industrial manufacturer who sold the raw material that 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 the contents of this barrel were used for for a specific purpose to the owner of the company that purchased it and used it. And that house where the barrel was found with the body. With with also remnants of the trade with the manufactured good that the company that purchased the raw material used right exactly like right then and there it's like hmm things aren't looking too good for you my friend howard howard howie howie uh howie howie what was his name uh howard b elkins 
Howie Elkins. Howie Murderface Elkins. <laughs> yes, lovingly dubbed by his family Murderface. Right. Um, unfortunately, though, all of that plastic company's records, um, the Melrose Plastics, including the name of all of its uh, former employees, had long since been destroyed. So the company is no longer around anymore. Um, not surprising since I'm sure that most all synthetic flowers are made not in the United States at this point. Well, and the fact that, you know, like, companies that no longer exist that existed in the 70s, there's probably not... The the records of them exist solely in the memories of the baby boomers that are dying off. (laughs) (laughs) Right, and, like, the physical records, like, whenever that company went under, they were just like, just throw these in the trash, I guess. Like, who's gonna, like, hang on to a bunch of paperwork? Right, and, like, the the internet didn't exist. Storage wasn't free, so it was like, oh, well, well, this company's bankrupt. I guess... We don't recycle. To the dump. Right, exactly. To the dump with you. Right. Um, so getting back to that address book, using, and this is like ridiculous, the steps that they had to go through, using moisture extraction, magnification, a, my favorite, video spectral comparator study, all of those things combined, police were able to get information from the address book which, uh, like I said, clearly had markings on it. They could tell it had been filled. It was in a freshly purchased address book, right. um, but were not easily read. So, like, so before, mm-hmm. so they went real life CSI Miami on the same. Yes, exactly. There was like theme music playing and like dance, 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 you know dance, a montage. Dance, dance. Right. Someone's like slamming their fingers into a into a keyboard. Like if we use reversed video double spectrography. There's, like, lasers, like a laser show going on. This is my moisture laser. We use this. Right, exactly. Exactly. To extract moisture, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get into the information from the address book, let's pause here for a moment and follow the police on their investigation into Howard, the factory owner and one-time Jericho homeowner. And I say this because, once again, the timeline's a little bit iffy here, but it sounds like while the team you know, back at home base was investigating this address book. Other police officers went to go track him down. Detectives went to go track him down in Florida. Because, I mean, like you said, he's pretty sus. So wait a minute. Howard is still alive. Howard is alive. He is 71 years old in 1999. I'm sorry. So he was in his 40s of sound sound mind and body under his own free will and moved out of his Long Island apartment or house house it was a house yeah and left his body barrel behind yes exactly and we'll get to that we'll we'll get to that as well but yeah i mean he wasn't like some 14 year old kid no he was he he was part owner of this plastics place like he he owned this nice house but he wasn't like some 70 year old dude in the 70s either who like got displaced because he got put in an old folks home this is a guy who moved out of this house and willingly else. abandoned his body barrel, yes. And, and willingly left his body barrel behind. Right, which, like, one man's... Oh, I don't want to say that. That's cruel. I was going to say one man's trash is another man's treasure, but, like, like... One man's body barrel is another man's basement barrel? I mean, Is another man's crime scene? Right. Well, <laughs> like, it's still his crime scene. I think, I think when you commit the crime at the scene, it's always your crime scene. You retain ownership. Okay. You the, retain ownership, okay, right, of the crime and rights, but but yeah, and and copyrights, and movie rights, yeah, movie rights and copyrights, absolutely. Um, if other people commit the same crime in the same way at the same place, you can sue them. Um, right. <laughs> so, uh, I just 
what if what an insane gamble what if, like if he, yes exactly if, right if he, if he did it like that's that's almost that almost makes me i know like we don't know enough about him yet and you're about to go into that but it almost makes me like think that he didn't do it because what if the people that moved into that house who he sold it to just opened the barrel he'd be fucked right then and there like right you think but no he got lucky that nobody opened this barrel for, for 30, 30 years. years for three decades and three extra owners <laughs> nobody opened this barrel right exactly That's just luck what a fuck like <laughs> yeah exactly no yeah and we'll, we'll we'll learn a little bit more about howard here oh god so, like I said, before forensics were able to clearly identify anyone from that address book, police felt that they had enough information to, you know, rustle some jimmies and go check on Howard. So the police went down to Florida, knocked on his door, and he let them in, surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, for me, if I saw if I had, you know, had a body in a barrel in my basement and the police came to my house in Florida... I would not answer the door. Right. Like, but that's just me. <laughs> well, like, I don't... You'd have... You'd... I know. After I 30 know. years, you'd think he'd be like, oh, I guess nobody's opening that barrel. Like... <laughs> I would just always be dreading that day if I right. were him. But at the same time, I'm not someone who would murder another human. So, like, right. maybe I don't fully understand. A pregnant so, human anyway, like, they, they got in is, and they started yeah. asking him questions, as you are wont to do during a murder investigation. Right. And so they described the barrel and the green dye found at the home, and he denied having any knowledge about it. He They showed him a picture of the barrel, and he said, I've never seen a barrel like that before. I've never heard of halogen green. So basically, he's just BSing left and right. But there's no records of his business left, so he can. Essentially, yeah. And there's like uh, no... He also couldn't name a single former employee at the factory. So that's oh. another thing where it's like, okay, you're telling me you didn't know a single... Per like, there's got to be at least one person there named John. Like... Like, you couldn't just guess. That's a, I mean, it sounds like like dementia probably or he's just really bad at lying and so instead of being reasonable and like trying to play their game a bit he's just like no i don't know i don't know anything mm. like you show him a picture of a car and he's like i don't know what that is like, i've never seen that device before what is that like he's lying a little bit too far <laughs> right right he's like lying too much what is you know what is, what is this what weird... is green right what is what is this strange paper you're showing me that has things that An I can on it. see on it. Oh my god, how did you do with this? Right, exactly. That's that's how I feel it was, more so than, than dementia. Um, he did, surprisingly, however, admit to having an affair with one of his employees at the plastic company in the 60s, although he said he couldn't remember her name or describe what she looked like at all. Oh my god. <laughs> right, like that also seems highly unbelievable, good sir. Right, like you, like the uh, name I could maybe get. Right, like okay, you don't remember her name, whatever, but you don't know like what color her hair was, like I, what not, she in general looked like. Was she human shaped? Right, Who knows? Like, like huh? Wow, what's that strange horseless carriage you got out there that you're driving? Yeah, I fucked exactly. the lady I used to work with. She worked for me. Yeah, I fucked her. But really, what's that strange... What is... 
what is that what is that that grandfather clock that you have on your wrist there like right <laughs> this man is overly lying and in in all the wrong places and overly truthing in equally right wrong and places. they're suspicious like, as fuck well, i mean <laughs> in all of the interviews they were just like oh he was lying right away the minute he opened his mouth it was all lies right. <laughs> and i'm like yeah uh so then yeah. they asked for a saliva sample to compare dna because the there was a fetus and they could do dna testing and he refused and at this point asked the police to leave so police advised that they'd be per- returning with a warrant for the DNA sample the next day. So he so here's, left mm-hmm. to Cuba because he's a rich uh, old man. No, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, he decided to go a different route. Uh, the next day, Elkins did his normal routine, got up at 7 a.m., went for a brisk walk around the neighborhood, uh, got in his car, drove himself to the local Walmart, where he purchased, in cash, a shotgun and two boxes of shells. Now, this is the part that is just, like, extra inconsiderate to me, and you'll see what I'm talking about here. He then proceeded to break into the garage of a friend's home that he knew was empty at that time, and he climbed into the backseat of the vehicle they're in... And shot himself. He, why did he buy two boxes of ammo? Why did he go to his friend? I mean, I assume so his body. I mean, obviously they weren't that good of a friend. (laughs) And he went over there and left them this terrible mess. And then, and then Pulp Fiction their backseat. Like, yeah, what the fuck, dude? That's you ask me. So, so clearly he did it. Like. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Survey says he did it. Survey says, uh, uh, guilty as fuck. So what I why okay <laughs> okay maybe I feel maybe, you have many questions maybe this is me <laughs> okay question one who even in your garage who leaves their car unlocked in the garage I don't do that yeah I guess old people in Florida who live I, in a gated retirement community I mean I guess I still I still won't leave my car unlocked in the garage there's no re- why would you leave your car unlocked it provides you with no extra convenience there's no reason to leave your car unlocked. I, I agree. I don't. I don't, I don't disagree. Two. Why did he buy two boxes of ammunition? Was he worried that he was gonna like? Did he foresee himself needing to take like practice shots? Did they only sell them in doubles? Like I don't. Was I have there, was there, about that too. Was there like wh- a sale bogo? <laughs> right, bogo or like <laughs> or like was it like one for five, two for seven? Like I don't. <laughs> Right, and he's like, even oh. though I'm only going to use exactly one round out of this, who yeah. knows? Maybe my neighbor can get some use out yeah. of the rest of these. Yeah, someone will use them, right? <laughs> right, waste not, want not. Waste not, want not. It's good. It's good value. You can't argue. Can't argue with those deals. So, like, I don't. Okay, so why did he? What a dick move! I, I know. What I know, it is a dick move. Like, first of all, it's a dick move to murder someone, right? Like, that's right. that's a pretty then, big dick move. But then, like, adding on to that, you're yeah. like, I need, I feel the need to end my life. So I'm going to break into my neighbor's house, who I consider a friend, Go break into, into the- their car, and do it there. And do it there, and, and blow my brains out, and shit myself in their backseat. Like. <laughs> right, and then, you know what? They'll have to deal with the aftermath. Yeah, before I did it, I peed on his dog. Like, why? Why? Right, also, like, it's Florida. There are swamps. 
Oh, he can God. just walk out into the swamp? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand, like, man. I think he's pretty rude. Like, it's human. I mean, assuming, like, I assume he did it because he'd be found quickly. Like, that's that's the only good reason to do it. But, but like, don't you think if he wanted to be found quickly, he would do it at his own home? I mean, the police said they were coming back the next day. If, if he wanted to be found quickly, don't you think he'd just do it in the middle of the Walmart? Like... <laughs> Just right there and then just load up. There you go. I don't know, man. Wow. I don't have the answer to that wow. for you. Wow. I okay. do have some other answers, though. So that was his baby, and he didn't want to deal with the, the raising of the baby. They, I, I'm assuming they DNA tested him, and it was his. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, Jesus. Okay, we'll get there. Okay, okay. So let's let's round back to the address book, because right now the police are pretty sure that this guy killed the body in the barrel, but they still have no idea who the body in the barrel is. Oh, of course, yes. Right, so, like, that's where we're at. So, finally, after doing all of their fancy-dancy CSI mojo, we're able to see the name um, Marroquin, like I said, that was her last name, and an address. Oh. And listed at the same address was someone named Katie Andrade. So they were like, huh, so maybe we need to find this Katie person. They were also able to see an alien card number written on the first page, and it indicated that the card belonged to Reyna, so now they have a name. Also, interestingly, they found Elkin's info in the address book, which, like, I'm just going to say that I've had several bosses, and I have never had any of their, like, personal address information in an address book. Right. I've never felt the need. Like, I've had maybe, like, their cell phone number on my phone, but, like, I, I don't know where they live. I don't know what they do. So that's, like, to me a little suspicious right there. Like, that's, like, uh, connecting the dots. Yeah, that's a bit I, sus. It's a bit sus. Also, it seems like she had been writing a note of some kind on that page because they were able to make out the words, don't be mad, I had to, and other letters could not be made out as well. But it, they could see a T, an O, an L, and a D, making the detectives think that what she said was, don't be mad, I told the truth. Mm. Hmm, right. So let's mm. get to Katie, because I don't know what they did, if they just, there was a phone number in there, and they were just like, dur, 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 tried that, gave it a call, and she was like, yes, hello, this is Katie, after 30 years, or if they, like, had to do some extra legwork, but either way, they ended up getting in touch with Katie. Okay. And she immediately knew who Raina was, and that reason was because Raina had been her best friend in 1969, who had gone missing. Katie explained that Raina had told her about the affair she was having with her boss and the fact that she had gotten pregnant. Now, Katie and Raina had lived together in Manhattan until the pregnancy, at which time Raina moved out to New Jersey. Okay. So here's where this kind of comes to a head, is that in September of 1969, uh, Raina called Katie in tears saying that she had made a terrible mistake by telling her lover's wife about the affair and the baby. Oh my god. Right. So, so then she calls so wait, Katie what was, again that what was uh -huh. this, what was Howie? Howie Howie Dickface. What was what well, did he have a wife when he was living in Florida? Oh yes. He had a wife while he was living in Florida and had the same wife 
while he was living at the house in Jericho and had three children at that time. So. Oh. So did his. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And his wife is still alive. As far as I know. I mean, not like still alive today, but still alive then. As of, yeah, as of 1999. Right. When he died, she was alive. Right, 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 right. Okay. And they were still together. So why didn't he just off himself in his own? Oh my God. Okay. I know. I know. Okay. I assumed assumed he lived alone. No. Okay. So he, while not living alone, purposefully went to his friend's house. To, okay, it's even worse. Um, yeah, and apparently his son was the one who found him. So I don't know how his son made it from... <sighs> like, I don't know if they just walked around the neighborhood until they saw the car parked outside this house and then started poking around. I don't know. Or if he like, left a note. Details were or... scant. Yeah. He okay. did not leave a note. Okay. Oh, he didn't leave a note. Oh, well, that would... A note would maybe have explained some things, but he didn't leave a note. <laughs> right. So anyway, anyway, we're getting to like... The climax. The climax of 1969. Mm -hmm. So the next day, uh, she calls Katie again, and she's frantic. She's begging Katie to come to her apartment immediately because her boyfriend has threatened to kill her. And Katie says, no one's going to kill you. You're going to be fine. I'm heading right over. And her boyfriend is her boss. And her boyfriend is the boss, yes, for the plastics company, who's also the father of her child. Right. So Katie gets over to Raina's apartment and unfortunately arrived too late. And there's a slew of suspicious things that she finds. So for one, there's warm food on the stove. The front door is wide open. Uh, Raina's winter coat is hanging up in the closet and there is no sign of Raina. So being a good friend and a good citizen, uh, Katie called the police and attempted to file a missing persons report. But because, A, Raina was an adult who'd only been missing a few hours, and B, because Katie was only a friend and not a blood relative, the police refused to take any formal action. And in fact, they told her that clearly she had run off with her boyfriend and told Katie not to worry. I feel like that would... Uh, that's such a that's such a, like a 60s thing to happen. I feel like that wouldn't happen today. Like, if you if you told the police, I showed up to their house, the door was wide open, it's the middle of winter, they didn't take their coat, the food was still on the stove, and the stove was on, something happened, the police would be like, well, that seems reasonable. All you had to do was say that the door was open and she was gone. You didn't have to... Right, after you, after you got a phone call from her in which she said, my boyfriend has threatened to kill me. Right, like, oh my god, <laughs> oh god. Right. Well, and, you know, like I said, I've been doing a lot of unsolved mysteries, murders, true crime and things like that. And that's such a common refrain for this time period, even up to the 80s or the 90s of women going missing and the police being like, and just like not giving a shit when there's clearly plenty of evidence to show that they should be worried. Right. Whores. They just ran off with someone. You can't we can't be investigating everything that looks like a like a. Like a like a lady like a murder ru- like a like a murder just because it looks <laughs> like a murder it's probably just sex I wouldn't worry about it like, right well, exactly officer are you sure yes I'm sure well I mean you're the expert right. okay then like what, what are you <laughs> well and even better um when all of this came to a head in 1999 the police investigating tried to get in touch with the police in New Jersey and they had absolutely 
no record of taking this seriously at all. They had a record of Katie calling. They had a call by that name, but they didn't do anything about it at all. They didn't keep any records. Just, yeah, she called us, Oh my! which is just mind blowing to me. That's so crazy. So let's just recap here with the timeline of events so we can get everything in order. Right. So starting from the beginning, Raina came to New York from El Salvador in 1966, eager to start a new life after some sort of divorce and settled in Manhattan. She enrolled in fashion school and got a job at the Melrose factory painting plastic trees um, and as well as taking a job as a nanny. Uh, Katie said that she had also worked as a nanny. She met Katie in an English class and befriended her. The two moved in together in Manhattan. At some point along the way, she began an affair with Elkins. Once Raina found out she was pregnant, she moved to New Jersey. She didn't want to keep the relationship a secret anymore. And in fact, Katie said that Raina had told her at one point that Raina was convinced he was going to leave his wife for her. Right. So he was 41 and she would have been 27. 27. Okay. She was 27 at the time she disappeared. Yes. So not a horrific age difference. Like could have been. Could have been a right, but I feel like in this situation, like, it's still pretty clear that he was taking advantage of her, right? Like she's an immigrant from another country; she doesn't have any family here. He's her boss. Like even that is pretty hinky and kind of creepy. And the fact that he's like twenty years her senior, yeah. like pretty sure he was just using her. Plus, he killed her. You know. Plus, he killed her. Right, which is which is terrible. Right. So, Reina. Didn't want to keep the relationship secret anymore, so she called his home and told his wife about the affair and the child, which clearly made him really mad. Right. So then she calls Katie twice, once to tell her about the confession, and again begging her to come over because her boyfriend has threatened to kill her. Katie goes to Raina's home. Nobody's there. Uh, Raina, uh, 27 years old at the time in 1969, is never seen alive again. Um, Katie called the police, but they did diddly squat essentially okay Okay. i feel the need i feel the need to just take a step back and and discuss the fact that he threatened to kill her and then did kill her right right we have a clear like i'm going to do this i did the thing right but my point is i would never kill someone but if you were going to kill someone in a premeditated fashion for any reason, and you were seriously going to do it, why would you warn them? <laughs> why would you tell them? Exactly. <laughs> why would you tell them so that they could call and tell someone else? All it would have taken this this guy is the proof that karma is not real and that and that there is no justice in the world and life is not fair. This one right. man is the proof of all of that because he threatened to kill someone. The, pers- the person that he threatened to kill then told someone that he threatened to kill them, then disappeared after telling someone that he threatened her, and then... The police he- do nothing. He left his body barrel behind. Oh, I'm sorry. The police- right. right. The police do nothing. He puts her in a barrel, goes on with his life, with a barrel clearly marked with all of the trappings of his industry. Right. It's not a completely anonymous barrel here. In his Like, he didn't try home. that hard. In his home and right. just left it there when he moved like why wouldn't you take that fucking shit with you like uh, not to be disrespectful like 
but like why why would you leave that behind why 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 right why would you leave the evidence of your crime you could have done anything with it you could have you could have put it in a large like like one of those large driveway dumpsters and had it taken to a dump and nobody would have ever opened it ever like but no he just also clearly he's an affluent man he couldn't like pay some movers to move it right or pay to have it incinerated or pay to just take it with him for his entire life he could have had it in his basement in florida when he died and and suffered none of the consequences i mean he didn't suffer any of the consequences anyways because he's a a fuck right but like like he lived a full like a reasonably full life yeah i would say without having any sort of Right, but no, he leaves it behind. He does He yeah. does the most suspicious thing and he leaves it behind and all it would have taken was for the next people to say, huh, why did they leave a barrel behind? I wonder what's in here. Why what's is in it, the barrel? Why is it so heavy? Oh my god. It, or any of the two people to come after that. But no, it was the fourth person, 30 years later, after this guy had lived a full life and retired with his family to Florida. Right, living in a nice posh gated community in florida like right. and then this hmm. woman finally starts to starts starts to to proceed with getting some justice and and he just escapes all of it anyways like what right exactly uh like that oh god that's such a frustrating thing i can't it is it is ridiculous and i mean it's ridiculous too because you know, obviously, because there was no sign of a struggle inside the apartment. She left the apartment of her own free will. So he either convinced her to meet him at the factory. He came and picked her up from her apartment. Something happened there. And somewhere along the line, he murdered her. He beat her to death. Oh, my God. You know, he didn't even, it wasn't even like a, you know, like she suffered more than he did in death. Like a lot more. <laughs> Right, which is just ridiculous, and I'm sure that the reason why she went with is because, unfortunately, women, I think, have heard before, I'm going to kill you, or I'm so mad at you, or have gotten hit. Right. And they stay, and they want to give them a second chance, and they think, oh, but they really do love me, and so they oh, are just... manipulated into continuing on. And so even though he had said, I'm going to kill you... She, for whatever reason, went along. She went along with it somehow. And he took that opportunity and thought, you know, what's the best way to handle my infidelity and being a crappy person is I'm going to kill someone else and their child. Who is my child, by the way? Right, right. (laughs) Um, And he was he was a accomplished sailor. He had his own boat, probably a yacht, because this dude sounds like one of those guys who would have a yacht. So police theorize that he was going to dump her body in the ocean. So he probably Uh, took her body in the empty barrel back to his house or something like that, but filled it up with the plastic pellets and found that it was too heavy to carry. Because like I said, 350 pounds. Right. And just decided to leave it there. Wow. So, yeah, he just concealed it in his crawl space where it stayed for 30 years. So... That, that's the timeline we're working with here. So what is what is the aftermath, right? Right. So Reina was buried in El Salvador. She was able to go back home. And uh, her mother, who was 95 in 1999, died a month later and was buried with her daughter. That's tragic. It is. But it was almost like she, she waited all this time right. for her daughter to come home. And her daughter finally came home and she was able to peacefully 
pass. Right. This 95-year-old woman probably in poor health, like, the shock of seeing her daughter finally come home probably killed her. Right. Well, and apparently um, she had been interviewed by a couple of different people and said that she had had visions of Reyna being in a barrel. Now, I don't know how much I believe that. (sighs) I don't know how much of that is made up, but I mean... (sighs) Clearly, she spent a lot of her time thinking about her daughter and what happened to her. Right. Uh, Now, also deceased, Elkins uh, was never brought to trial or convicted for his crime. Uh, They also did do DNA testing on the fetus, and uh, the DNA match showed that the probability of that baby being his was 99.93%. So it's his baby. Exactly. So a couple of closing thoughts for you. A couple of things that came to mind when I was investigating this case or looking into it, you know, is that Raina was a young woman who had a life ahead of her, a full life of promise and possibility. And no one can say what she could have done, what she could have accomplished if her life had not been taken. And it was all because of the selfishness of this asshole Elkins, who determined that the best course of action was to resort to murder instead of handling the situation in a better way. You always have a choice. You can't say he didn't have another choice. He did. He had plenty of other choices. But he chose at that moment that the best thing to do was to be a murderer. Right. And then like... It was pure selfishness. Right. Part Part of me almost thinks like he left it behind in the hopes that someone would uncover his crime and bring him to justice or something like like that, that you would hope but of... i feel like that's giving him almost too much credit i think he was just a lazy asshole who got comfortable in his getting away with it it's, it's, you know? it's just it's just insane like he made there could like he made all of the mistakes if one cop had bothered to to look into it and be like well who's her boyfriend and then go check out her boyfriend right they would have right, discovered well, a barrel, or they would have discovered, like, bruising on his hands, or they would have discovered blood in his car. Like, if, if one person from the police or anyone had decided to step up and look in that barrel, and, like, he got so lucky for 30 years. Right. I mean, let's just talk about the if, sheer incompetency here of the police that here's someone saying, hey, yeah, so my friend said that her boyfriend was going to kill her. I went over to her house, the front door was open, there was food on the stove, and she's gone, and they said, eh, whatever. And you can't tell me that the fact that she was a single woman, young woman, who was not American, who was from El Salvador, that they didn't care. If she was some, you know, rich family's daughter, they would have jumped up out of their seats and rustled some jimmies right then and there, but none of them cared enough because they didn't think that she was important. And I think that's tragic. Or if she was even a white lady, like, honestly. like Yeah, because she was not white. You know, there were a lot of things here playing against her, and that's what kind of made her the perfect victim for Elkins, which makes me think all the more that he was using her instead of it being a starstruck, you know, love, romance kind of a thing. Right. That's, That's tragic. Like damn, can you can you imagine like, like the oh god, like the first person to actually step up in that whole case, imagining being the first person to open that barrel after probably like, like how many people when you're like giving a tour of your new house or whatever or throwing a party at your house, how many people end up in your basement or like just like peeking into your crawl space? Nobody said, hey, what's that barrel? 
Nobody bothered right, to be like... especially that it changed hands. Different people bought this house. Multiple times. And not times. a single one of them was like, so what's in the fucking barrel? Like, if I'm buying a house, I'm spending half a million dollars on a house, I want to know what's in the barrel. Right. Like, like, multiple, like, affluent owners. Like, these aren't, like, people who are, like, renters who are like, ah, oh, whatever, it's a barrel in my fucking crawl space. I'm going to be gone in a year anyways. These are people who are, like... Buying the house as their like family Like committing, home. right. Like committing for like 10 years, for a decade, to raise a family or just live in this house. And nobody bothered to check out the body barrel? Like, uh, it's, right. it's astounding. It's truly astounding. Well, and it was amazing to me that in one of the articles I was reading, someone had said, you know, yeah, it does kind of disturb me to think that I lived in that house for all those years with a body in it. And I'm like, well, whose fault is that? right uh, i think that i mean obviously a it's elkin's fault that he murdered someone but b why why did you not investigate this why did you not do something about this because and that's just the thing how how are they supposed to know from looking at the outside of the barrel what was inside it it could have been filled with gold nuggets right like i would open the barrel because i'd be like ooh free stuff right exactly that's that's what i would do too or i'd be like honestly what i would do is i'd be like sweet a barrel i could like turn that into an end table and then i discover a body in it and be like "Ah, ah." never mind (laughs) right right like i don't like the whole thing is just insanity end to end that nobody did anything in the first place and then nobody yeah. did anything for 30 years despite all of the evidence being readily available. And then, like, when somebody finally found the body, when somebody finally found a murdered woman, it took, like, a little bit of CSI shit. But all of, like, once they literally had a clue, they just found the murderer, right? <laughs> it took them, like, like three days of investigating. <laughs> right, like... Like, like and- this wasn't hard. This wasn't, like, a, after 30 years of hard searching and hitting the pavement. No. No, this was a couple days of investigating a 30-year-old mummy corpse where they couldn't identify anything or read anything or look at anything visually. Right, it didn't say, hi, my name is, and, like, had a sticker on her. Like, no, and there were still, I mean, there were still so many clues. I mean, this was not a difficult case right? by any means. Oh, God. It's just, it's just, like, police incompetency end to end. Like, yeah. oh, my God. And, like, I don't, I guess I don't blame the people who lived with a barrel. Like, I don't, I don't blame them. I judge them. But, like. Right. Like, I'm definitely <laughs> judging you. I'm hardcore judging you right now. Right. For, for your life choices and living with, with, with a barrel that you never opened or looked at. Like, that's, that's a little right, weird. Right. A mystery barrel. <laughs> in your basement. <laughs> right. Like, like, that's a little weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> weird. <laughs> but, like. Like, is there something in the water that all of you, like white new jersey folks like well that makes me think of the don't bo- care about what's in your basement i don't know oh uh, that makes me that makes me maybe maybe that's a teaser for a future episode where we do the uh the body that was found in the in the hotel water tank in new york oh my god <laughs> elsa there was a body elsa, in the water. Elsa. yeah body in the water uh. <sighs> well on that happy note i'll just say that if a friend of yours goes missing i mean especially in today's day and age like push man keep pushing fucking right like like you got to be the advocate there especially if police aren't being helpful like you gotta you gotta be your own murder advocate you gotta right you you gotta be your own advocate for the missing and the disenfranchised and for murder right 
Like, or something like that. Ain't nobody gonna do it for you, clearly. Especially in COVID. <laughs> right. Especially not not the police. <laughs> like, like, certainly not the New Jersey police. Oh, God. Man, that's nuts. I know. Ugh. Well, that's my story. That's, uh, that's, that's a, what I researched. It's a hell of a story. I know. Wow. I can't get over it. I can't get over how much information was just sitting there waiting. For 30 years. For thir- literally 30 years. For longer than I have been alive. <laughs> right. right. Like, like case, like, case closed, open and shut in two days. Like, there's no... Right. Uh, that's ridiculous. Agreed. <laughs>